The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 595 for November 5th, 2017. The Sprint T-Mobile merger is off, Broadcom seeks to acquire Qualcomm, and the iPhone 10 is here. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, before we get into the news, the iPhone 10 it launched on Friday. I received mine on Friday, and I've had a few days to put it through its paces. So there's plenty of reviews out there that talk about all of the different things that are with the watch, the specs and everything, like the, the phone and all the specs and everything with it. But a couple items to note from my perspective. So um, it is definitely the best iPhone that's ever been made. And that goes from the overall hardware to the screen, the processor, the camera. It's all the best and it's great. With that screen, it is truly the best ever. Uh, the contrast of it compared to even the really good screens on, say, the iPad that's out there uh, today and, uh, you know, certainly the, the iPhones that are out there that are not the 10, uh, all the way to, you know, screens that Apple has made in recent years, like the Thunderbolt display, there is a, a true difference in this screen going to OLED and just having that technology and the higher resolution on it. So it is pretty amazing. And in my opinion, one of the best things about this new device. Absolutely, because you're interfacing with the screen pretty much most of all. That's what you're interfacing with. And, and uh, one thing about the specs that does uh, interest me about it is that it is a higher resolution screen. It has a higher DPI than uh, any of the iPhones before it and even iPads. So now that you have this higher resolution screen, what do you think when you now look at your iPad? I mean, it's it's this grading experience where you just look at the screen and you go, how is this not better? Because you're just used to looking at this super high resolution screen on the phone. And, you know, even even though, again, you've got great screens on the iPads are just not as good as this. And, and again, you know, when you take a look at it and look at like a bigger screen, whether it's a computer screen um, or a laptop, a desktop or laptop screen, you really start to see the difference here. And you just realize just how far we have to go on some of these other devices. So um, it is, it is pretty jarring when you're moving back and forth with these now, which is going to, I think, be a problem in the long run. But uh, also with the screen, the notch is there. It's fine. I, you'd forget about it in a while, whatever. Uh, Face ID. This functionality is fantastic. It's very reliable. You get used to it very quickly. It's intuitive. In fact, since you don't have a home button to rely on, so it makes sense to just pick up the phone and swipe up. Face ID does its thing while you're completing this action and you're into the phone without even thinking about it. So that's great. Uh, Mention no home button. That's fine. Uh, I think it's actually, you know, a good thing. Screen gestures feel like the future when using it. So I'm totally fine without having a button. Right. And, you know, one thing that I, that I think of is now that you have to swipe to kind of get to the home screen. I'm now thinking, uh, you know, slide to unlock was kind of more along those lines, even though you still have to hit a button to light the phone up. Uh, slide to unlock was kind of uh, similar to this uh, thing you have to do now. It was in its own regard, and this obviously is a, you know, when you used to pick up the phone with the Touch ID, you would kind of figure it out how you pick it up with your thumb on uh, the, the Touch ID sensor, and that would ultimately get it going and you wouldn't have to do anything else. And this this, this kind of action, this gesture uh, makes sense as well. Um, we'll come back to that in just a second here. But uh, talking about this screen, um, I'm used to using a phone with one hand and, and the size, overall size of this phone is not that much bigger than uh, the the six or seven, you know, that the smaller footprint of there. But it's just big enough where I'm, I'm starting to, you know, try and learn my way around how I can get my thumb from one side to another. So there's still a little bit of getting used to the the 
the, the actual physical size, that bigger screen. Uh, back to the home screen, though. So um, I know you've been able to do this for a while in iOS, but I just never did it. Uh, and that was the suppression of messages on the home screen. It happens now by default. And so what that means is when you uh, pick up the phone, if there's a notification about a text message or an email message, it just says message. It doesn't give you the text of that message. Uh, though if you pick it up and you look at it, Face ID will authenticate and it will then show you what what's in those messages. But the good news about this is if someone else picks up the phone, they're not going to see that uh, that information. It all gets suppressed until you actually unlock it. So I like this added layer of security. And Joey, rightfully, you pointed out that one of the bigger deals of this are, is things like two-factor authentication, uh, something that we should all be using as much as possible. Uh, so this makes a lot of sense if you happen to have your phone stolen and someone tries to break into your account and they have a text message sent to your phone, they're not going to be able to see it because... <laughs> Of course, it's going to be suppressed until it gets unlocked, and you can't do that without your face, which obviously won't. they won't have. Uh, portrait mode in this camera. Where have you been all my life? Holy cow. These are amazing features. This camera is incredible, um, I, especially for a phone. I, I've just been blown away by this and, and just totally uh, in love. This behind the, the, the actual screen itself, I think the camera is my favorite part of the new device. Right. So you got to remember, you now have two cameras on the back. One is a zoomed lens. So you've now got to remember that you can zoom in your picture and it will switch to the other camera for an optical zoom. Now, this is something you're going to have to get in the habit of doing because you have not done this now for 10 plus years here with an iPhone. Yeah. And, and the, the one thing that I will say that makes that easier to remember is that there is a 1x shown on the bottom of the viewfinder. So you know that you are out at that full level. And so, yeah, the first time I went to take a picture, I saw that and I said, what is this? And I started to zoom in. I went, oh man, this is a, this is an actual optical zoom. So, um, it is, it is nice, uh, for sure to have that because you can actually take advantage of that. Yeah. And of course the, uh, upgraded camera is, uh, is, you know, is a feature that I'm very interested in. Um, and it's, uh, obviously makes the device much, uh, to me, much more attractive than the the iPhone 8. Yeah, it, it's a... Well, although the iPhone 8 does have a very close camera, it's very similar. Uh, I don't think it's identical, if I recall. But uh, either way, it, it's it, they are very similar. And, and, and they have done a lot of different things uh, with this here. And, um, you know, coming from my 6S to this, uh, obviously, you know, not as major of an upgrade as some other people, but still pretty darn good and a pretty great camera to have on a phone. Right, but also on the flip side, though, your front camera is much better on the the 10 as well because it has the uh the the, the face detection mode uh in the 3d sensing of that yes which is uh very uh very nice to have as well i don't take a lot of selfies but perhaps i will take more uh also i bought a third-party case on amazon uh super thin one uh and uh that is uh, nice to have obviously i just wanted to have something to be put in place but as thin as it is um it the bottom of it is not thin enough to allow me to use i've got a, an alarm clock on my nightstand that's got one of the old 30 pin dot connectors on it. And so then I've got a lightning charger adapter on there to convert that over to the lightning. And uh, the thickness of the adapter doesn't allow for the lightning pins to recess enough. So uh, I couldn't use that for charging at night. And so I grabbed an old uh, Qi charging pad uh, and I'm using that to charge the phone. In fact, I haven't even plugged a cable into uh, this uh, device yet. So um, a first world problem, yes, but it is yet another thing that I have to deal with on my nightstand. Uh, and so I, I'm really 
really glad though to have the wireless charging finally in this device and so i'll be thinking about how do i potentially you know get something that's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing uh do i wait for the apple air power charging thing and uh, for whatever you know bajillion dollars i'm going to charge for that it's probably not worth it especially for just normal overnight charging we'll call it uh and emoji it's ridiculous and it's amazing. My kids, friends, kids, anyone who just wants a laugh have, have just absolutely loved, you know, uh, seeing how this thing works. You can call it a party trick or a novelty and whether or not you're going to use it for uh, a while or not is is kind of doesn't even matter at this point. But I will tell you, making a piece of poop talk is silly and fun and people of all ages find it very comical. So uh, I do I do kind of dig that. Uh, also, uh, on the kind of the negative side, there are a number of applications uh, that have not been updated yet for uh, the iOS 10 for optimization. Um, and uh, it's actually kind of strange some of the ones that haven't been. So there's some big names out there, of course, that have, like Google and Evernote have done their part. They've updated their apps. But Amazon, so Amazon Music, Microsoft, the Outlook application, they haven't. So you've got these big black bars along the top and the bottom when you're using those apps. Um, and I really hope these are addressed uh, over, you know, hopefully the next coming week in their updates because it's really not awesome to be using these. It reminds me of the days where you were using iPhone apps and you were stretching them out on the iPad screen. It's just, it just doesn't feel good for using this phone. Right. And I still can't believe, you, yeah, I still have to do that on, on many uh, apps still uh, on the iPad. And, you know, Apple changed to a dynamic screen layout system uh, in Xcode years ago, and I'm still not quite even understanding why it's why it's not even really set up for the iPhone X to just work automatically without having letterboxing going on. And uh, it's like when we had the the launch of the iPhone five. Uh, you know, going to the four inch screen coming from the three and a half inch screen, the apps would be letterboxed uh, because of the the increased size uh, of the top and bottom, and they they kept the the, the the, the width the same, but the height changed. So that's why they were letterboxed. And also then the same thing happened uh, when you went from uh, the iPhone, the, the four inch screen to the 4.7 inch screen, there was, they, they would zoom, the, the apps would actually become zoomed and there would be some letterboxing as well for apps that weren't updated. Yeah, and it's, it's weird, like some of these names that have not done it yet, and I, I'll, this, I'll be up looking for these updates to happen hopefully in the next, uh, you know, I'll say next week, but I'm sure some of them are going to take longer than that and it won't happen right away. Well, it's tough now. They have, you know, four inch screens all the way up to, you know, 4.7. They've got the 5.5 and now they've got the 5.8. So now we've got four different uh, current iPhone resolutions. I guess the, the the good news, though, is that this is obviously the, the premium model. And so you would imagine that any app that's, uh, you know, that's thinking about, you know, the customer base is going to do it because they're going to want to make sure that everyone going up to those devices is, is able to take advantage of it. So uh, anyway, um, when I got this new device, um, like I do with all my new iPhones, I don't restore from a backup. Um, and uh, I was, though, pleased uh, to see that some data that uh, wasn't in the past restored is now restored, which is to say um, activity data is now synced over to iCloud, so I didn't lose that history. It also uh, pulled in uh, my I'd say the health information, I guess is what that the other piece of it was. So, um, so that was nice not to, to have to lose any of that. Um, although, of course, I set up everything else, but everything is really synced to the cloud. So there's there's nothing really else that I cared about. Obviously, it takes not very long to set up all your credit cards on uh, Apple Pay. Face ID does that, you know, for the, the biometric stuff. So it, it takes a few minutes, but not terribly long. Uh, and, uh, and so that's that. Uh, battery life uh, seems pretty good so far, um, but uh, I'm going to hold any other judgment other than to say pretty good until I go through a 
work week. Um, so I'll have to decide if it's, uh, you know, good enough to leave my battery packs at home. But uh, I will just say that my initial usage makes me think that I'll probably still need them around from time to time. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, setting up uh, the Apple Watch uh, was from scratch this time because I had uh, did not restore from a backup of the phone. I didn't have the backup of the Apple Watch on there. And uh, that was really easy. I don't know that I'll ever restore from a backup on the watch either just because, there again, it was setting up the complications on the home screen, and that was it. Uh, I don't have a bunch of apps on it, so I don't really care. It was just a, a quick, simple thing, and then all the activity data synced over. So pretty darn simple with that as well. Uh, and uh, to just overall, I'm happy with the purchase, excited to uh, put the phone through its paces this coming work week and uh, get some of those real-world scenarios of calls and emails and texts uh, and watch them play out and just see how this thing responds because it's, uh, you know, it's my device for the next two-plus years, and so I got to make sure that it's going to be the right one for me. Right. And uh, of course, uh, you know, I'm curious how the, the camera is going to uh, work for you, because that's also something I know you take a lot of pictures, uh, you know, during the week as well. Yeah, I do. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in that, too. And uh, I, I like the uh, like what I've seen so far. It's been great uh, with just kind of the, some of the test shots and shots of my kids over the weekend and uh, just very happy overall uh, with uh, with that piece of it. So good stuff there. Uh, any questions, of course, you know how to get us and let us know, and I will be sure to answer them on a future show. Moving into the news, T-Mobile and Sprint on Saturday said they have ceased merger talks as they could not find mutually agreeable terms. Uh, ongoing talks about uh, the, a merger have been ongoing since 2014. Uh, the discussions heated up earlier this year between the two companies, but it appears they weren't able to find a deal that worked for both of the organizations. Uh, they said the prospect of combining with Sprint has been compelling for a variety of reasons. That's uh, T-Mobile CEO John Ledger. He said, however, we have been clear all along that a deal with anyone will have to result in superior long-term value for T-Mobile shareholders compared to our outstanding standalone performance and track record. So, you know, this doesn't, you know, this T-Mobile Sprint merger never made a lot of sense to us ever. Uh, to me, one of the, you know, one or either of these these carriers would make a lot more sense if they merged with a, a cable company or or something like that or, or some sort of media company or some uh, different company where they could kind of get some you know, corporate synergy instead of trying to integrate, you know, basically two cellular networks that are entirely different. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, the idea is that you would be able to bring together all of the subscribers of it and create the biggest carrier that's out there, uh, which could potentially be beneficial from a, you know, a competition perspective. They would be able to get some scale and being able to do that. Ultimately, we transition over the next five years into some of the 5G technologies and that stuff becomes the same. They've got, you know, a ton of spectrum and, and I, I, I kind of saw it. Um, you know, it, it all kind of depended uh, d d on, on how these two companies were going to be able to corporately coexist. And it sounds like they could never get to that point. Um, we heard Ledger, Mar Marcello Claire, who's the Sprint CEO, says, uh, well, we couldn't reach an agreement to combine our companies. We recognize the benefits and scale of a potential combination. And we have agreed that it's best to move forward on our own. We know that we have significant assets, including our rich spectrum holdings and the ex uh, accelerating significant investments in our network to ensure continued growth. And looking forward to continuing to take to fight on the duopoly and newly emerging competitors. 
years. Uh, clearly, many in the industry are concerned over Sprint's ability to execute moving forward. The lack of significant network investment in the last few years has left Sprint with an aging and inferior product uh, to the other three U.S. rivals. Meanwhile, T-Mobile has been gaining traction as a network over the past four years. They've added another 600,000 customers in the third quarter of this year. That, again, bested the rest of the competition, and that has been going on for 15 straight quarters. Again, that's almost four years of gaining more subscribers than anyone else uh, uh, in their market space uh, in the U.S., so it's it's really been a good run for T-Mobile. And uh, ultimately, you know, they said we're going to uh, continue disrupting. They say the industry and bringing our proven uncarrier strategy to more customers and new categories. Ultimately, redefining the mobile internet as we know it. So uh, that's it for merger talks. At least for now, uh, we are not going to see a T-Mobile Sprint merger. Next, a new report from the Wall Street Journal explains that Apple is investigating building devices with only chips from Intel and MediaTek. So while a legal battle clearly plays uh, a role in this, uh, where Qualcomm has withheld, withheld critical uh, to testing its chips with the iPhone and iPad prototypes, Qualcomm has reportedly stopped sharing the necessary testing software uh, that after Apple had filed its initial lawsuit. Uh, the report this week adds that Apple plans from moving away from Qualcomm uh, is uh, very early in the process. These plans are, and the feud, uh, of course, is all based around the chip maker forcing Apple to use its baseband chips for high royalties. Apple filed a lawsuit. Qualcomm uh, attempted an import ban and also filed to block uh, the iPhone sales and manufacturing that was occurring in China. So that's still a very messy process. And subsequent to uh, Apple using a potential new chip maker, Qualcomm has filed a lawsuit against Apple now alleging that the uh, our, the iPhone maker allowed Intel to access Qualcomm's proprietary software. Uh, Apple uses modems from Qualcomm and Intel in the uh, iPhone and has separate engineering teams for each. Qualcomm has a strict software license contract with Apple meant to ensure the confidentiality of its information, including that source code. Um, but uh, Qualcomm says that Apple had emailed them in July requesting sensitive information about how its chips work and copied an Intel engineer on that email chain. Uh, Qualcomm says that Apple's Qualcomm engineers shared information with Apple's Intel engineers regarding Qualcomm software. The two companies have been, of course, in this legal battle for the last year. So uh, this is just kind of the latest pieces of this. And uh, it's unfortunately, I think for both of these companies, it's just it's not going to end in a a short time here. I mean, this is going to be something that's going to continue to drag out. Even if Apple decides we're not going to use Qualcomm anymore, we're going to go with these other chips. There's still going to be lawsuits that are going to drag on for months and even years into the future uh, about everything that's going on between these these two. Right, because they're just two behemoths and and, uh, I don't really know what will Come of it. I mean, hopefully, Intel and some of the other manufacturers actually have chips, uh, chipsets available for Apple to use, uh, especially on the CDMA side. Uh, Qualcomm he has a lot of that locked up. Well, I guess that's kind of the the idea here, right? Is if you're moving forward in a world that doesn't include CDMA, and that, I'm not just saying that that happens in 2017, 2018, but you know, potentially 1920 in these new feature devices, that might be a reality. That they're just we're moving on, and uh, they're going to take advantage of using the uh, you know the the spectrum and those those holdings that they have uh, for that they're using for CDMA now, and use them for LTE and, and speed up that process. And if anything, it's going to be um, you know it would be something like this where Apple would say we can't include CDMA in our devices. And anymore 
and ultimately then we could potentially see ourselves with a uh, you know with a change in these these networks um, so it's uh, it's all you know very complex and, and, and legal rich in all of this um, and it only gets more complex with then news at the end of the week uh, that Broadcom is interested in acquiring Qualcomm in a deal worth more than $100 billion. So Bloomberg initially reported on the news uh, on Friday, and should that deal go through, um, they would purchase Qualcomm, Broadcom that is, at around $70 a share with a deal that includes both cash and stock options. Broadcom will, would reportedly make Qualcomm the offer uh, within the coming days here. So sometime hopefully uh, or I shouldn't say hopefully, but potentially by the end of the week, uh, though no decision has been made on whether or not it would be accepted. And, you know, as Qualcomm is the largest manufacturer of mobile modems for data connections, Broadcom is the largest for mobile Wi-Fi chipsets. Absolutely. And they make a lot of other ones like Bluetooth. And uh, and I believe, if I remember correctly, I think um, even Apple's normal or even the old iPhones, the cellular connections, I believe were Broadcom. Uh, before they started using Qualcomm's, when they moved to the, uh, uh, the the CDMA versions of the iPhones back with the iPhone four when they first started with Verizon. Yeah, yeah, and it's a uh, you know it's a it's a tough situation here for Qualcomm, and you know I think it's going to get tougher for them before it gets better, um, as this is kind of a distraction. Uh, but yeah, of course, neither company has commented about this. Uh, but should that deal actually go through, we're looking at the largest takeover for uh, a chip maker that the world has ever seen. I mean, this is the biggest deal by far. Um, and, and so it would be very interesting to see, but, um, it just, it, it's kind of the latest, you know, thing to pile on to the, the Qualcomm, uh, uh, woes, if you will. And, and potentially it could be good news for them in the long run, but, uh, it's in the short run again, it's again, just a big distraction. Uh, also in network, uh, other news this week, though, Samsung has made some changes to its leadership. Um, so we're looking at, uh, we haven't talked a lot about this, but we're looking at some major changes of the heads of all of its business units. Um, so there are a number of plans for major executives uh, among the business units to step down. Uh, and that includes the heads of display, consumer electronics, and integrated circuit divisions. All of them will be replaced. The uh, overall Samsung structure will maintain these three co-CEOs. Um, and as it was also announced that the president, uh, President Sang-Hoon Lee, will be leaving his position as CFO. Uh, and all of these changes will be happening soon. So uh, Samsung, uh, this has got a lot of stuff happening on their side that is, is ultimately going to keep them busy as well as they kind of work through what the, the rebuilding process looks like as they move into the new year with their new leadership. Cricket this week, improving its service plans with more data. Uh, beginning this week, the $30 monthly plan will include uh, 2 gigs of data. That's up from 1 gig. The $40 plan, 5 gigs up from 4. Uh, the company is also bringing back its unlimited data offering. The unlimited 2 plan offers unlimited data with up to 4 lines. The primary line costs $50 a month, and each additional line is $25. So, for example, 2 lines with unlimited service will cost $80 per month, 3 lines 105 and so on. Uh, customers can add mobile hotspot to their unlimited plans for an extra $10 per month. The option provides up to 8 gigs of tethering per billing cycle, after which tethered speeds will be slow to 128 kilobits per second. The unlimited plan includes up to 22 gigs of LTE data at speeds up to 3 megabits per second. Video streams are capped at 480p standard definition. Customers who exceed 22 gigs in a single billing cycle may be throttled when the network is congested. Cricket says additional fees and restrictions apply, but didn't specify what those are. 
Apple this week announcing its financial results for Q4 2017, covering the period between July 1st and September 30th. The company sold 46.7 million iPhones, 10.3 million iPads, and 5.4 million Macs. The company's quarterly revenue was $52.6 billion. It's an increase of 12% from the year-ago period, and quarterly earnings per diluted share are at $2.07. That's up 24%. International sales accounted for 62% of the quarter's revenue. And in the quarter, Apple sold that 46.7 million uh, iPhone number, um, which uh, was uh, up from the year-ago quarter, as well as uh, from 45.5 million the year-ago quarter. Uh, well, not a qualified uh, unit n- number of sales, the Apple Watch unit growth was up over 50% for the third consecutive quarter, and wearables are up uh, 70% year-over-year in that period as well. On the subject of the pre-order and launch of the iPhone 10, Tim Cook said that the ramp-up for the iPhone 10 is going well, considering it's the most advanced iPhone that we've ever created and has lots of new technology in it. He also said, we've been increasing week-by-week output and we'll get iPhones into customers' hands as soon as possible. In device news, AT&T on Monday said the dual-screen ZTE Axon M will be available for pre-order starting on November 1st and is, will, and is on sale on November 17th. The Axon M is unique because it has the two twin 5.2-inch displays that will fold out to create one large 6.9-inch screen. It costs $24.17 a month on the AT&T Next plan for 30 months or about $725. Razer on Wednesday announced the Razer phone. It's its first phone with a focus on mobile gaming. Uh, The company uh, was bought by Nextbit, maker of the Robin phone, earlier this year with the Razer phone born from projects started at Nextbit before the acquisition. The design is similar to the Robin in that it's got a blocky shape and a front stereo speaker set that's independent uh, with uh, THX certified DAC. The device has a number of firsts, so it's got a 5.72-inch wide color gamut, uh, IGZO LCD uh, display with quad HD resolution, the first display to refresh at a rate of 120 hertz, which is, of course, ideal for gaming. The Razer is also the furthest handset to ship with the Qualcomm Quick Charge 4.0, an enhanced version of the rapid charging technology. Razer is pushing the phone's pixel and polygons with a Snapdragon 835 processor and 8 gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage, and it does support microSD cards up to 2 terabytes. Uh, as for the camera, it's got twin 12-megapixel cameras with PDAF and a two-tone dual LED flash. One camera has a wide-angle lens with an aperture of f1.7, the other telephoto lens with an aperture of f2.6. An 8-megapixel fixed-focus camera is located on the front, 4,000 milliamp-hour battery for power to keep the games running as long as possible, uh, runs Android 7 Nougat. Pre-orders uh, are on sale immediately, and it will go on sale in the U.S. on November 17th. HTC Wednesday announcing the U11 Life. This is a mid-range handset similar to the U11 flagship and a reasonable price point. It's almost identical to the U11 at a glance, but uses high-quality glass uh, instead of uh, plastic. Uh, HTC achieved the mirror-like finish by using a clear acrylic exterior metallic paint uh, on the inside surface as well. Uh, According to HTC, this will give people a device that looks like a flagship at a more affordable cost. The U11 Life has a 5.2-inch full LCD display with a Qualcomm Snapdragon 630 processor with 3 gigs of memory and 32 gigs of storage, 16 megapixel camera with f2.0 aperture on the back and front, the rear 
cameras, phase detection, autofocus, the front camera, fixed focus. Uh, the device does include the U11's squeezable edge sense feature for initiating certain actions. Other features include USB-C noise-canceling earbuds, HTC's Alexa voice assistant, IP67 water resistance, and Android 7 Nougat. HTC will update the phone to Android 8 Oreo by the end of November. And perhaps most importantly, the U11 Life will be widely available to U.S. customers. T-Mobile plans to sell this phone and feature it in stores as a smart pick. It will be sold unlocked from HTC starting on November 2nd and should hit T-Mobile the following day, November 3rd. The U11 Life uh, is priced at $350. In software news, Google this week announcing a new feature coming to Android phones to ease Bluetooth pairing. It's called FastPair and makes discovering and pairing with nearby Bluetooth devices much simpler. Google says FastPair is being made available to devices running at least Google Play services 11.7 and Android 6 Marshmallow and up. FastPair relies on Bluetooth low energy. Accessories will need to adapt, uh, adopt the technology in order to fast pair to work properly. Uh, devices with Bluetooth low energy on board will, when put in pairing mode, send information regarding the device identity to nearby Bluetooth devices. The Android phone will see the Bluetooth low energy broadcast and send information back to Google servers to learn the product name, find the product companion app, and verify the product image. Google then pushes a notification with a tap to pair feature complete with the product details. Users need only accept the notification to complete the pairing automatically. Google says people will be able to test fast pair with the Google Pixel Buds and the Libertone Q Adapt on-ear headphones. Plantronics Voyager 8200 series wireless headsets will also soon support fast pair. It's being made available to Android devices over time. Sounds like a lot like the uh, the Apple wireless uh, chip that they're using for the some of their recent uh, headphones and speakers. Yeah, it's uh, obviously a very you know nice process to have when you can just set up something uh, quickly like that. Um, I guess the the good news on this is that you're really not doing it all that often. Um, you you do it once and you're pretty much set. Um, you know, I guess the uh, the next piece of this is, and I'm assuming that they're going to try and do this is to synchronize this information throughout a Google account. So if you've got a, a tablet and a phone, you can sync that over and maybe even to uh, you know a Chromebook as well. Hence the reason for the, the the information of the device probably going to Google servers. So that's the that's and that's a great point because with the uh, like the the Beats X headphones that I have that has the 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 that Apple what is it W1 chip, it really does uh, amazingly show up in all of your other iCloud connected devices. So I go to my work computer. There's my Beats X. I can just hit them and start playing them instantly. And there it is on my MacBook and the iPad and the phone and the watch. And it's all there without with, with just pairing that one time. You don't even have to think about it. It's uh, it's very nice, very convenient. And uh, you know, if you're an Android user, there's a chance that um, you know you might have a tablet or even if you could pair it to a a Chromebook. I know a lot a uh, lot more people are getting Chromebooks now. I mean, that's a that's a great option as well. Google on Wednesday also making its Google Assistant available in Spanish and Italian on Android handsets. Google says Spanish is available in the U.S., Mexico, and Spain, while Italian available, you guessed it, in Italy. The Assistant already speaks English, French, German, Japanese, Korean, and Portuguese. Google says support for Spanish and Italian will roll out to end users over the next few weeks. And Google on Monday announcing that YouTube TV subscribers can now access the television service directly from compatible TV sets and streaming boxes. Until this week, the service was limited to mobile applications on smartphones and tablets that needed to be cast over to TV sets. Google says the YouTube TV app for TV devices is available, starting with the NVIDIA Shield. TVs with Android TV built in, as well as the Xbox One, One S, and soon the One X, 
will also get this. Uh, in the next few weeks, the same app will arrive on additional smart TVs from LG, Samsung, and Sony, as well as the Apple TV streaming box. The app for TV boxes includes three existing tabs for live TV, recorded library content, and the home screen. Uh, Google changed the app's white black uh, background to black for TVs, added a new live guide for better displaying uh, on what's coming later. People will be able to use their streaming box or game controller to control the live TV and pick up where they left off on mobile devices. YouTube TV supports up to six individual users on a single account, each of whom has access to their own unlimited DVR of recordings. YouTube TV offers uh, around 50 channels, including live broadcasts from ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC to many of the major markets around the country, and it costs $35 per month. Essential Products on Monday rolled out a software patch to the PH-1 smartphone. The latest build improves touch scrolling, patches the crack Wi-Fi vulnerability, and makes other small tweaks and improvements along the way. The patch is small enough for an over-the-air download and already is being pushed out to PH-1 owners. Apple Tuesday, releasing the uh, final version of iOS 11.1 to the public. The update has been in beta testing with developers and the public for more than a month. The most significant addition is that of Unicode 10, which includes hundreds of new emoji. Uh, Also, the Apple keyboard now generates multiple emoji options when typing uh, keywords into uh, that support emoji. iOS 11.1 also resurrects the 3D Touch application switcher for certain iPhones. On the security front, uh, 11.1 includes a patch for the crack Wi-Fi exploit that was recently announced. Uh, it also improved the operating system with a number of under-the-hood bug fixes and performance adjustments. It's free to download over the air. Apple has also released Watch OS 4.1, bringing uh, LTE-based Apple Music streaming to the Watch Series 3. Uh, the Watch OS update also includes the new Beats 1 radio application, while Wi-Fi toggle and Unicode 10. Uh, Watch OS 4.1 is free to download through the associated iPhone application. Questions and comments this week. Uh, first one comes from Bobby, and he says, Guys, I purchased an iPhone 10 with the intent on selling it, making a few extra bucks, or keeping it and surprising it, uh, surprising my daughter with it uh, as a way too expensive birthday present. If I choose to sell it, I'm confused as to why, when I purchased it via Apple.com, I was forced to choose a carrier even though I paid outright for it. Will they be able to sell it, or do I have to go through the carrier to unlock it uh, if someone wants to use it on a different network. Thanks, Bobby. Well, uh, as Bobby has chosen Verizon, um, he's actually chosen, uh, I'll say, the right one uh, in this regard. So number one, uh, all of Verizon's devices are sold unlocked, but that's kind of irrelevant in this situation. But uh, ultimately, you're not even having to think about it because if you bought a Verizon device, it's going to be unlocked anyway. But uh, the reason you have to choose a carrier is because uh, some iPhone models, including the iPhone 10, have multiple models that are sold. So the iPhone 10 has a model A1865 and a model A1901. So 1901 does not support CDMA networks such as those used by Verizon or Sprint, though the 1865 model does. So as I said, your purchase of this 1865 model, and you can verify that on the box just to verify that you did get that one, is the better of the two to purchase from a resale perspective because it does include those bands. And interestingly, this is a not a choice that you get when you're buying it from, from your carrier, but you do get it when you choose to buy it from Apple. Uh, and ultimately, it's there's nothing else that's different about these devices other than it doesn't support CDMA. Uh, and why? I have no idea. I'm sure there's there's potentially a legal reason for this, but uh, not sure. 
Well, I, I, it's the Intel versus the uh, Qualcomm chipsets, I believe. Uh, so they, they want, that's why there's the two different models because they want to sell the Intel ones as much as they possibly can. So that does make a lot of sense um, and why there would be no CDMA because that's the restriction for, uh, for why you would have Qualcomm chips. So, um, but as I was looking back at the model of my, my, my 6S, uh, that model did have the CDMA in it and it was a version that was sold by T-Mobile. Right. And over the years here, every single time they've got these different model splits, there are they, they, they vary greatly with what uh, LTE bands they support, whether they support LTE. So you have to really kind of be careful because while maybe the seven or the eight supports different or the bands that you need, the the you know, the next version may not. And you may have to get this other device. And there was a bunch of years there were sprint they had their own separate device, Sprint was. And that was like a device that they used globally for some like Asian carriers that were on CDMA and those particular bands and that uh, the different uh, LTE that Sprint was using, which was like uh, time division versus frequently division or, or vice versa. And then they've kind of able, been able to roll that back in and it, it just keeps varying. So you really have to kind of be careful too with the LTE bands. Well, it's very, it, it, we just talked about this, what, 30 minutes ago. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right. That's got to be what it is. And especially with what's happening with them right now, they want to sell as many as they can that don't use the Qualcomm silicon on it. So that would, uh, that would make a lot of sense. So anyway, Bobby, you've got a CDMA version, uh, if you purchased it from, uh, from the, the this particular model, uh, which again, just so that you can verify it, uh, you're looking for model 1865. Finally, today is a question from John. He says, guys, John, again, how do you feel about biometrics, i.e. touch ID and face ID on phones? I have the new 10 and love face ID. It's been flawless. Uh, I also recently moved to Florida and I'm working in retail. And I noticed a lot of people don't use biometrics, be it on Android or iOS. I'm not quite sure if it's a lack of knowledge or they just don't trust it. What are your thoughts? Love the show. Keep up the great work. Uh, well, John, you know, I've used uh, Touch ID and I've enjoyed using it since I got the iPhone 6 three years ago. However, you know, having used Face ID for the last couple of days, this is definitely the feature of how we're getting into our devices. Um, in fact, the feature disparity, I think, now between the phone and the iPad is going to be a bit frustrating, but uh, certainly it's something you just have to be thinking about. But as for people not using these types of authentication features, I, I see people not using it often as well. And I think it's, you know, people just, you know, they use the passcode feature. Maybe when they set up the device initially, they said, I don't want to take the time to go in and enter all the, the uh, you know, my fingerprints. And, and ultimately, it's that's just what they did. They never went back in to figure out how to deal with it. Right. And from I've, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of people at work, too, that I see the exact same thing. And I asked them, well, why aren't you using your, your, your fingerprint thing? They're like, well, I try and it doesn't work. And then that's it. They and they say, well, you know, you, if you hold your finger around and kind of really, uh, you know, because what I've seen them the, the people do, and this is the reason, because I asked them, I was like, well, what did you do? Like, I just kept pushing my finger in that same exact spot in that one little spot over and over again, and it it won't work that well because it doesn't see much of your fingerprint, and if you don't get that one little particular spot hit again. Uh, it won't work right. So, I mean, you really have to move your finger around and the, the on-screen instructions does not really explain that very well. And, uh, you know, I just kind of discovered that through trial and error uh, to really move your finger around a lot. And then it, it, it works really quick and easy every time you grab the uh, and press the Touch ID. Yeah, and, and one of the other tricks that I've found is that if you, you do that, you move your finger around a lot as you're setting up your finger, 
uh, when you go to set up your second finger, do your thumb again. It, whatever the finger that you use a lot of the time, do it twice. And that, it, it makes it almost 100%. The only ever time that I ever had it not work is if my finger is wet. Wet, uh, yep. And that, that other than that, it worked, it worked flawlessly. And then I think another reason is, is that uh, people set up one fingerprint and they forget which finger they set and they don't realize they use their other index fingers and not just their thumbs to uh, unlock and open the device. And they, it just says, you know, doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. And then they just assume it's broken and, and the technology is no good because they don't even remember what finger they used. Yeah. And it's, it is kind of an interesting, you know, commentary on this on, on you know saying well it doesn't work because uh, obviously it works and it works quite well because um, one of the things that people as face ID first came out here this week and they're testing it out they're trying to figure out ways to quote unquote fool it and uh, one of the stories that came out that I found so interesting was this, uh, this this these two brothers and I can't remember if they were half brothers but anyway they were not identical twins they were not twins at all I think they were different ages uh, but they still had a similar look to them and what was happening was so one of them set up the face ID and uh, then the other one tried to fool it by using his face. And uh, when he would have the the five attempts at a failed, uh, you know, a failed unlock, uh, they would then enter in the password to get it to unlock and then turn it off and then start doing it again. And ultimately they got it to open it. And so this it, the, the kind of the story that they were leading with this was that we got it to eventually it would it did unlock. And so what actually was happening, though, is that. The phone itself was learning the other brother's face because he was then ultimately entering the passcode. And by entering the passcode, it seems like this person is the right person and I'm not getting the face right. And so it's learning it and it's adding the information that it's receiving about this other brother's face into its, you know, its algorithm. And it's then using that to ultimately unlock. And because, of course, they had a similar look to each other, uh, it was able to start parsing that other information from the younger brother and was able to then make, so it was basically working. It was learning the face and working because you were able, you, someone knew the passcode and so it was able to figure it out. Right. So it's a, it's a non-story story. Right. And uh, so, but it's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where if you look at how the fingerprint worked versus how the, how face ID works, face ID has got to adapt to a lot more things than a fingerprint because the fingerprint is pretty much static all the time. Your face, you know, sometimes you look different, you're tired, you've got sunglasses on, you grow a beard, your hair gets longer, you lose weight, you gain weight. And so over time, it's just taking the information and it's using that in that algorithm on those whatever 30,000 data points that it's looking at on your face. And it's saying, okay, how is this changing? And how is this kind of, you know, adjusting? How is this face adjusting? And how do I need to adjust to make sure I'm authenticating in a proper amount of time? So um, an amazing amount of technology going into that and, uh, and subsequently a much more robust system um, that is going to hopefully find it, you know, find itself a as a a way that we are using in the future. Because I'm telling you, it's uh, from just a couple of days. It's really nice to be able to use. And I, I loved Touch ID and this is, you know, all the all the better. So I'm very excited about it. And uh, I so I think, John, to answer this question, um, I love biometrics. I think they're the best way to uh, to get in. I also use it on the Mac uh, with the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch authenticates me to the Mac. Uh, when I when I come out of sleep with that, and I find that great, so I don't always have to type in my passcode. Although it's not nearly as reliable uh, and uh, doesn't work all the time, but uh, it again, there's periods of time and stuff like that where it'll say if you haven't been on the computer in a while, it just won't work. But either way, uh, I do love the biometrics. 
If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 650-999-0524, or send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.